We've completed a full festival season with all the seven holy days and the seven festivals and following the example of Jesus Christ and the apostles. So we're looking forward to the recycle beginning again in the spring. Uh, Passover will be Monday, April 25th, uh, just a little more than six months from now. The Feast of Tabernacles gave us a vision of tomorrow's world. Uh, Dr. Meredith emphasized in his opening night message that we need to keep the big picture in mind. And we certainly had that wonderful uh, vision given to us by so many inspiring sermons during the feast. And now we have to press forward making sure that we are fulfilling the mission that Christ gave the church. We know that we have to persevere and to live each day by faith. If we'll turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Hebrews 11, we know that we are all involved in a work of faith. God's way is a way of giving. And as we live that way of life, we experience the abundant life that Jesus talked about in Matthew, excuse me, in John 10 and verse 10. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we read about those who died in the faith, Hebrews 11:13. These all died in faith, and of course, having talked about uh, Moses and uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, Noah, Enoch, Abel. So these died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them. We need to make sure that we have embraced and uh, committed ourselves to those promises and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And so, in a sense, we stayed in temporary dwellings as strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I think I mentioned to you before that as a single person, I lived in uh, 12 different places, and my wife and I, as a married couple, lived in 25 uh, different places. We feel like we were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, but uh, as of this coming November, we'll set a new record of staying in one house for continuously for uh, 13 uh, years and seven months since we came to uh, Charlotte, and no, 12 years and seven months since we came to Charlotte in uh, March 2003. But we are all strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And many of our brethren have died in the faith. In 2014, we have recorded 158 Living Church of God members who died in the faith. When you read your Living Church news, you see the section, the feature in loving memory. And you get a sense of the faithfulness of our brethren who have died in the faith. So today I want to ask you, how faithful are you? Will you endure to the end? Do you have that strength of character? And how will you make it into the kingdom? Has God promised you that he will help you into the kingdom? God's Word, the Bible, gives us the important principles and emphasizes the importance of being faithful. The title of the sermon today is Faithful to the End. Perhaps we could title the sermon, Faithful to the Beginning, because if you're faithful to God for the rest of your lives, the next event is the resurrection, and of course the beginning of a glorious future in the kingdom of God. 
At that point, when we're resurrected, we will inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. We will inherit salvation, Hebrews 1, verse 14. We will inherit the promises, Hebrews 6, verse 12. We will inherit the kingdom, Matthew 25, verse 34. All baptized members made a commitment to endure to the end. They made that commitment at baptism. A commitment that we would be faithful to the end of our lives. Well, first of all, let's take a look at some examples of faithfulness. Those men and women of faith. Those who have been faithful to the end. And who do you think in your family or in the church over the years that you personally known to be faithful, faithful to the end. I mentioned the uh, LCN feature in loving memory, and I hope that you read our current September-October 2015 issue. Uh, in a previous sermon, I listed several of the ministers and ministers' wives who have gone asleep in Christ and who are now awaiting the resurrection. So who do you think in the Bible is a faithful servant. Let's turn back here to Hebrews, the third chapter, Hebrews 3, and we'll find one mentioned here. Hebrews 3, and starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, we certainly have a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. So, who was faithful? Christ was faithful to him who had appointed him as, who else? Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. But here we see two that have been very faithful to the end, Moses and Christ, of course, himself. Turn back to Acts 13. Acts 13. You realize the trials and temptations and challenges that Christ faced and Moses faced. Hebrews, uh, sorry, Acts, the 13th chapter. And here we find another faithful man of God. Breaking into the middle of a thought here in chapter 13 of Acts, verse 22. And when he, God, had removed him, Saul, mentioned in the previous verse, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. That's an example we all need to emulate, we need to follow, realize, yes, we want to be like David. We want to have that same attitude, that we want to do all of God's will. We can't do that at home, but we have to make decisions. We have to make commitments. Yes, I want to do God's will. Your will be done. And, of course, it tells us in um, Hebrews 2, 12, 13, that it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His own pleasure. 
So sometimes we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's Philippians 2, uh, verses, uh, verse 12, work out your own salvation. And verse 13, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Revelation, the first chapter, we take again a look at someone who is faithful. We've already mentioned it in uh, Hebrews 3, but also in Revelation, the first chapter, Revelation 1 and verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you. We want God's grace. And peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come. It's an awesome promise. We know that we can have faith and confidence and peace of mind because we know that in spite of the turmoil and chaos and evil and confusion and wickedness in the world, that Christ is coming back to stop it. He is the one who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Christ is a faithful witness. And if we're pillars in the temple of God, as the Philadelphians are referred to, uh, we all want to be faithful witnesses. And that means we don't compromise. We stand tall. We stand up for the truth. We live the truth every day. Jesus is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to our God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we see that Christ again is called faithful, in this case a faithful witness. Who else do you think of as being faithful? Let's try to do Second Corinthians the eleventh chapter. Second Corinthians, the eleventh chapter. <clears throat> and of course, some of you may have thought about the Apostle Paul and all of the trials and turmoil and pain and suffering he experienced. But and it's good, I think, every once in a while for us to remember the sufferings of the Apostle Paul and how he was faithful. He didn't give up in spite of all those trials. Second Corinthians 11. He's talking about those who are false ministers, who are boasting, and so the Apostle Paul is sharing his credentials. Second Corinthians, the 11th chapter, start verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Well, there's this uh, one movie out what is called uh, something about breaking, about this one uh, Christian and a, a prisoner of war. And I just happened to see a preview of, of his getting beaten. And you know... Forty stripes, just one stripe, let alone ten or twenty or thirty. But thirty-nine stripes, not just once, five times. You take the shirt off your back and then you're bears to a whip. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Remember, left for dead in Lystra. Three times I was shipwrecked. You think, wow, once is enough, but three times shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. You know, and just wonder, is God going to rescue me? I'll look up and see the stars. And I'm floating here, just holding on to some driftwood and hoping to be rescued. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. We really thank God for the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul. Let's turn to Second Timothy, the fourth chapter. Of course, you know that's the Apostle Paul's farewell message, Second Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He knew he was going to be martyred at this point of time. Tradition said that he was beheaded. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Well, the Apostle Paul struggled through... All kinds of turmoil and challenges, more than many of us have ever, at this point in time in our lives, ever experienced. But he said, I have kept the faith. God expects all of us, brethren, to keep the faith, to endure to the end, to fight the good fight of faith, to finish the race, and to keep the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. But we thank God for those who are faithful. We have brethren who died in the faith. We think about them. We look forward to seeing them again in the resurrection. They died in the faith. Let's take a look at a couple more faithful examples of those who have exemplified faithfulness. Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong began his training in the truth in 1927. He was ordained as a minister of Jesus Christ in June of 1931, and he died January 16, 1986. The Worldwide News had a memorial issue. It was dated February 10th, 1986. And in that issue, we had some comments about Mr. Armstrong's endurance, his faithfulness. Mr. D. Barapartian, who died at the age of 94, continued to work here at headquarters just virtually every day until the last few months of his uh, life when he became ill. But even at age 94... Mr. Apartian was working faithfully at headquarters. This is what Mr. Apartian wrote in that memorial edition of the Worldwide News about Mr. Herbert Armstrong. Quote, 
What can anyone say or write about a man to whom all of us in God's church today owe our standing, our understanding of the Bible? Just like the Apostle Paul, Herbert W. Armstrong planted the seed in each one of us, his children in Christ. To personally know Mr. Armstrong was an honor. To work directly under him was the most inspiring privilege. What quality of faithfulness did Mr. Armstrong have? Mr. Apartian continues. Loyalty is what he expected of all of us, and he himself showed the same loyalty toward us, end of quote. So Mr. Apartian, who was faithful, talked about Mr. Armstrong's loyalty and faithfulness. Dr. Meredith also wrote in that same memorial worldwide nude issue about Mr. Armstrong, quote, He was a man who lifted our sights, imparted to us an entire way of life based on biblical principles, and inspired us to give of ourselves to the utmost in serving our fellow man and in doing and building the work of God, end of quote. So we remember faithful servants of God who died in the faith, Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, as one of them. Of course, we have right here with us, I don't get too emotional about it, but Dr. Roderick C. Meredith, who, as of December 20th this year, just another month or and a half or so from now, will have celebrate or will observe 63 years as an ordained evangelist of Jesus Christ. Uh, for those of you who have taken a tour of our headquarters building and the staff kitchen upstairs, there's a plaque that says, 50 years in the work of God, 1949 to 1999. That's when Dr. Meredith first came to Ambassador College as a, a photo of him as a old a young ambassador student and then one 50 years later in 1999. Now it's 66 years since he attended Ambassador College and 63 years in December as an evangelist. Uh, three years ago we had a celebration or a recognition of his 60th anniversary of his ordination. We gave him a curved glass plaque and on that plaque as the Scripture, Isaiah 40, verse 1, 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we want Dr. Meredith to continue to walk and not faint. Ian Fletcher's book, which has been made available to most of you, it's called The Incredible History of of God's True Church. How many of you have a copy of uh, Mr. Fletcher's book? Okay, looks like a good uh, 90% of you. If there are some of you who do not have a copy, since this was given at the feast uh, a year ago, uh, we do have some left available, and you can contact uh, headquarters and request a copy of Ian Fletcher's book, The Incredible History of the True Church. The back of the uh, last two pages, actually, of his uh, text in his book here, find it, page 293. I won't read through that section, but the section is subtitled uh, 60 Years as an Evangelist. 
uh, mentioning uh, the 60th anniversary of Dr. Mary's ordination on December 20, 2012. He talks about qualities of leadership, that is, Mr. Fletcher. And he concludes here with the following, quote, Dr. Meredith, although he acknowledges that he is far from perfect, is certainly one of the best examples of those qualities in action. Most important, the fruits of the living church of God certainly indicate that at this time, it is the foremost organization that is proclaiming the full truth of the Bible and really doing the work with increasing power. It's on pages 293 and 294 of Ivor Fletcher's book. I may have said his name wrong. Ivor Fletcher, The Incredible History of God's True Church. We thank God for those who are faithful. Who else was faithful? Well, we won't turn back there, but you know, during the spring we rehearsed the story of the Exodus. We know that Moses was in Egypt for 40 years, and then 40 years in the wilderness, and then 40 years in his ministry, leading the slave captive nation of Israel out of Egypt for 40 years. And he died at age 120. His active ministry was 40 years. The Apostle Paul, and some of you experts may uh, differ by a year or two, but had intensive years of service, about 34 years of intensive service. We just read in 2 Corinthians 11 how intense uh, that service was. Mr. Herbert Armstrong was served as an ordained minister for 54 and a half years. Who served the longest in the New Testament dispensation? The Apostle John may have died in the year 98 A.D. There's various um, estimates of when he died, but let's assume he died in 98 A.D. And let's count to the beginning of his official ministry from Pentecost 31 A.D. when the New Testament church began. John, the Apostle John, would have been the longest-serving Apostle and servant in the New Testament church. They would have then been serving for 67 years. So, in just four more years, Dr. Meredith would match uh, those 67 years of service. So, uh, let's hope that Dr. Meredith will actually surpass the Apostle John's 67 years of service. Turn to Titus, the first chapter. Well, uh, you know, Titus, which I shared across the page here from Second uh, Timothy, the fourth chapter. But before I get to that, I just want to mention also that uh, most of you know that on September 9th, 2015 of this year, Queen Elizabeth became the longest reigning monarch in British history, uh, surpassing the lengthy reign of Queen Victoria, uh, which was 63 years and seven months. Here in Titus 1 and verse 6, we find uh, qualifications for an elder. Uh, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children. So who else should be faithful? Having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Now the uh, NIV has an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. 
So we've seen several examples of those who have been faithful, those who died in the faith, and God's challenge for all of us to be faithful to the end. There are many other examples that would inspire us as well. The word faithful and its variations appear more than 50 times in the New Testament and more than 60 times in the Old Testament. Turn to Galatians, the fifth chapter, Galatians 5. And here we find one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, in the King James, it's faith, but here in the New King James and in most other translations, the fruit of the Spirit is translated faithfulness. Galatians 5 and uh, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The Greek word is bestes, which is consistently rendered faith in the King James Version, but in the New King James Version and other translations, it is consistently translated faithfulness. William Barclay, in his translation, renders it fidelity. And he writes that fidelity is common in secular Greek for trustworthiness. So when we're talking about being faithful, what do we mean? You're going to be trustworthy. It's a characteristic of a man who is reliable, writes Barclay. And of course, when you say reliability, you think immediately of Psalm 15. Who's going to be in the temple of God? Like uh, Dr. Doug Winnale emphasized that last week, Psalm 15, in his sermon on the importance of holiness. The Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words uh, for Beasties uh, is akin to pethaw, uh, which is used in two senses. Passive, meaning faithful, to be trusted, reliable. Can you think of yourself as being reliable? To be trusted. Can people trust you? Or do they not trust you? Do you keep your word? You say, yes, I'll, I'll be there. I, I'm very careful. I don't say I'm going to be there at such and such a time. I said my plan is to be there at such and such a time. Because I'm not going to vow or guarantee that I can be at such and such a time. But I still want to be faithful and to be trustworthy. The active sense of the Greek word is signifying believing, trusting, and relying. But one of the fruits of the spirits is faithfulness. So are we bearing the spiritual fruit of faithfulness? A faithful man, woman, or child is reliable, is trustworthy, and who also is, keeps commitments in relationships, which is another descriptor from another commentary. Turn to uh, Matthew, the 26th chapter. Matthew 26, we'll take a look here briefly at some examples of unfaithfulness. We've seen about Moses and David and others who are very faithful in, the, in God's church and work. Matthew 26. 
So immediately you think of Judas Iscariot. You know, comes to mind, Matthew 26. And, uh, of course, he was upset at Jesus because of the uh, woman who used the costly fragrant oil, verse 7, and uh, poured it on his head. And he said, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Uh, but he was actually had the money box, as it says in uh, verse 29. And he actually was a thief. But uh, verse 24, uh, when Jesus was uh, telling his disciples, who is going to betray him? The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Are you loyal and faithful? I think of, uh, I told you a story a long time ago, I think, but Mr. Zernikoff was a faithful minister in Norway in Worldwide Church of God. My wife and I visited him at uh, the Day of Atonement in Oslo. I think it was uh, 1989. Mr. Zernikoff was uh, in the underground in World War II when the uh, Germans uh, occupied uh, Oslo. And uh, he had the responsibility of uh, secreting uh, information from one point to another in Oslo uh, that would give uh, information on the uh, allocation of German ships in the harbor. And then the slip of paper that Mr. Zernikoff had would be sent to someone else, and then it would be given by shortwave radio back to London. Well, Mr. Zernikoff would have that information in the baby carriage. He had a baby at the time, and he had the baby carriage, and he would smile at the German soldiers, but he'd have that secret information. His superior was caught and tortured. And Mr. Zernikoff knew, I'm next. My boss, my superior, will tell the Germans my name, and I will have to be executed. His superior died by being tortured and did not reveal Mr. Zernikoff's name. And Mr. Zernikoff said, in the white throne judgment, I am going to thank my supervisor for saving my life. You know, that man died not revealing Mr. Zernikoff's name. He did not betray him. But Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. And may God make sure that none of us is a betrayer or a traitor, but that we remain totally faithful to the end. So Jesus said in verse 24 of Matthew 26, The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. But we thank God that Jesus knows what it was like. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. And he knows what it's like to be betrayed. Who else was unfaithful besides Judas Iscariot? We're going to turn back to 2 Samuel, the 15th chapter. 2 Samuel, the 15th chapter, you know, we actually sing one of the psalms that 
is centered around this story. Second Samuel chapter fifteen. Second Samuel chapter fifteen. Starting with uh, verse ten. You know the conspiracy of Absalom against his father David. Acts uh, six, Second Samuel fifteen verse ten. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent Ahithophel, Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifice, and this conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Now, who was Ahithophel? He was David's counselor. And he betrayed David and went on over to support Absalom. Well, later, when you read the rest of the story here, how David sent another counselor to counteract the counsel that Ahithophel was giving to Absalom, and Absalom took David's counselor's advice, and Ahithophel went out and hanged himself. You read that in the rest of the story. But here's a man who was not faithful, the man who was a traitor, Ahithophel, David's counselor. He ended up hanging himself. Will you be faithful to the end? Uh, The word Ahithophel apparently means brother of insipidity and impiety. So, let's turn to Psalm 55. Psalm 55, we, as I mentioned, we sing this hymn. It's actually uh, page 37 in our hymnal, Psalm 55. As for me, I'll call on God. Psalm 55. David is referring to Ahithophel in Psalm 55, starting with verse 12. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance, who took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive to Sheol or hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me... I will call upon God, and the Eternal shall save me. Verse 17, Psalm 55, a verse with which we're all familiar. Evening and morning, and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and He shall hear my voice. So we realize there are many unfaithful people in the world and in history. I've mentioned in a previous sermon, I won't take too much time now, but Benedict Arnold uh, was a uh, American hero in the Revolutionary War. But he became one of the most infamous traitors and turned over to the British and uh, actually burned my hometown in New London, Connecticut. Of course, that was before I was born. But uh, was uh, burned that down. But I always remember Benedict Arnold as a traitor and because he burned my town down. That was September 6, 1781. So we've seen some examples of disloyalty and betrayal, unfaithfulness, and these are warning signs for each and every one of us. We need to practice fidelity, reliability, 
faithfulness, perseverance, and loyalty. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Here we find wonderful consolation, comfort, assurance, and reassurance from God's promises in 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to see in the next section here about God's faithfulness. He expects us to be faithful. We saw that Christ is faithful. But look at this promise again that you're most familiar with. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Now we all experience the same trials that may be in different perspectives and uh, one way or another. But it's common to man. But God is faithful. You might want to underline that in your Bible. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So we thank God that He is faithful. I do want to go back. You might want to hold your place there. It just came to me here about this one other example of faithlessness because God was faithful to ancient Israel. Uh, Just turn back to Hosea 6 uh, briefly. Hosea 6. My wife brought this to my attention this morning when she was uh, reading through Hosea. Hosea uh, 6, starting with verse 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? You know, God is saying, look, I'm, I want to help you, but you just don't accept my help. For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. You put a good face on, you make uh, sacrifices, you kind of look to me like you're faithful, but it's very fragile. It's like vapor, it's like dew. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So just another example of unfaithfulness. But God is faithful. Let's go turn back to Second uh, Thessalonians, uh, the third chapter. Second Thessalonians 3. We find again, time and time again, the Scriptures witness to the faithfulness of God. 2 Thessalonians 3. And another reference to God's faithfulness. And verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. We pray every day, lead us not to temptation or sore trial, but deliver us from the evil one. At least you pray about that subject, I hope, every day. And God is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Yes, we're going to cooperate. We are faithful. Let's turn back to one more reference. Deuteronomy 7, 
and verse 9. So you can trust God. We have, of course, I thought it was a must-play sermon by Mr. Weston, Trusting God. No, I think that was Mr. Rod McNair. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. We honor God's name. It means, His name means His office, His character, His nature, His power, His authority. And who is He? Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9. Know, therefore, the Eternal, your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Verse 10, And repays those who hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with Him who hates Him. He will repay Him to His face. So God expects us to endure to the end. Our faithful saints have done that. We thank God that He loves us, that He is the faithful God, and that He is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. So thank God that He is faithful. How do you practice faithfulness? We've commented on a couple of the characteristics of faithfulness, of being loyal, of not betraying, of being reliable, of being faithful in relationships, of being trustworthy. I'm going to give you several ways to demonstrate and develop faithfulness. I won't number them, but just uh, give them to you. How can we practice faithfulness? By living each day by faith. Remember Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Take no anxious thought for the morrow, for the morrow will take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That's Matthew 6, 33 and 34. So he's saying, don't take anxious thought for the morrow. Live this day by faith. Yes, we have to plan ahead. The prudent foresee the evil and hide themselves, but the wicked or the foolish pass in and are punished. We have long-term plans, but we don't take anxious thought. We live each day by faith. We have several sermons along that line. Dr. Meredith's sermon on how to walk with God. Sermon number 859, Increasing Faith, uh, by Dr. Meredith. Number 889, which was a must play. The Power of Faith, uh, number 892, a must play. And Trusting God, which I referred to, number 895, also a must play, which you, if you are here, uh, all you have heard those sermons. Turn to to, uh, Romans, the first chapter. Romans, the first chapter. Three times in the New Testament, God inspires us and says, The just shall live by faith. And this is one of them, Romans 1. And verse 16, we'll start in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, 
for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's also mentioned, I won't turn there, Galatians 3, verse 13, and Hebrews 10, verse 38. I turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. We live each day by faith. We ask, as Jesus said in the outline prayer, give us this day our daily bread. You're going to make sure you're going to live this day by faith. It was a, a non-sequitur cartoon years ago and had the uh, uh, dueling prophets. And they had the iconoclastic uh, prophet of doom uh, with his white robe on the street corner with a sign saying, Repent, today may be your last day. And then there was the other prophet on the other corner facing him had a big sign that said, Rejoice. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. So we have to have both the short-term view and the long-term view that we are going to endure to the rest of our lives in faithfulness. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. As we get older, we certainly feel that that way. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The inward man is being renewed day by day. I won't uh, turn there, but in Luke 9, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. So you don't give up. Every single day is a day that you have committed your life to God and to Christ. That's uh, Luke 9, verse uh, 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And several of us have certain burdens. I have some physical ailments that are a burden to me. And you may have certain burdens that are a symbolic cross to you as well. But we must live each day by faith. So how do we practice faithfulness? Uh, one of the ways is to live each day at a time. We live one day at a time. We live this day by faith. We may live this day as the last day of our life and yet consider to seek God's kingdom for the rest of our life. How else do we practice faithfulness? Fast regularly. We fasted on the Day of Atonement. and But have any of you, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but have you fasted even one day for 24 hours in a year's time other than the Day of Atonement. You know, Moses fasted 40 days twice. We're not recommending that. Elijah fasted 40 days. Jesus fasted 40 days. So Luke 5, we might turn to Luke 5. 
in terms of viewing what God expects of us as Christians in terms of fasting. Luke 5. I don't, I'm sorry, but I I may confess that I don't like to fast. It's It's a discipline. The benefits are tremendous, however. And I know that it seems like after I fasted for 24 hours that certain blessings come along. And of course, our faith will increase most dramatically too if we're fasting regularly. Here in uh, Luke, I'm sorry, uh, where are we here? Uh, Yes, Luke, the fifth chapter, verse 33. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is in them, is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. So God expects us to fast. I think uh, some of you know that uh, just a couple days ago, the um, holy month of uh, Islam began. And on the tenth day of this month, they... uh, again, celebrate the victory of Moses over Pharaoh, which it seems kind of unusual that you expect uh, certain uh, Muslims to have that celebration. But this year, in Ramadan, Muslims fasted for a full 30 days, June 17th through July 17th, and they fast during the daylight hours. The daylight hours average 14 and a half hours a day during those 30 days that Muslims fasted. And that's down here on this latitude. Up in the northern latitudes, you have even more daylight, like 16 or 17 or 18 hours. So I don't know that any of us have fasted for 30 days with an average of 14.14.5 hours a day. I, uh, you know, some of us fast uh, maybe 12 hours a night because we have our uh, finished dinner at uh, 7 o'clock and then uh, have breakfast at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning. So some of you might uh, have an automatic, natural 12-hour fast, and that's why we call break fast breakfast. You break a fast uh, with a morning meal. But uh, again, if Muslims can fast 14 and a half hours every day for 30 days, Uh, Hopefully, true Christians can make sure they're disciplining themselves at least once in a while. And I'm not going to set any guidelines to that. Jesus said they will fast. And uh, hopefully we will be doing that as well. The Bible Study Course, Lesson 23, Tools for Spiritual Growth, page 3. Mr. John O'Gwen writes, Prayer, Bible, study, meditation, and fasting are tools for spiritual growth. Growth. These were tools used by countless men and women, servants of God, to draw close to their Creator in times past. They allow us to be more filled with the mind of God and to utilize His power more fully. Old Testament men of faith, such as David and Daniel, found time in their busy schedules to use such tools regularly. As a result, God worked mightily in their lives and prepared them for a great reward in His kingdom. The same tools are available to us if we will only use them. So, how do we practice faithfulness? We need to fast regularly. And we do, of course, commit ourselves 
to be faithful to the end, which we did at baptism. Let's turn back to Revelation, the third chapter, Revelation 3. And uh, some of the New King James Bibles list, have a subhead for each of the seven churches. Uh, this particular edition of mine does not, but most ones will have as a subhead to the Philadelphia church, Revelation 3, uh, starting with uh, verse 7. What's the subhead? The faithful church. So even those commentators who organized and formatted the various New King James versions of the Bible recognized that the Philadelphia church was and is and should be the faithful church. Revelation 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere. You might say, kept the command to be faithful, to be enduring to the end. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast. Hold tightly. Grip the truth. Hold fast to the truth. What you have that no one may take your crown. And he gives us the promises there for being a pillar in his temple and having the name of the new Jerusalem. You might want to... uh, Check out sermon number 733, Persevere in Prayer, which was a must-play. And sermon 771, Philadelphian Perseverance, uh, which will be uploaded to the website uh, next week on uh, livingchurchofgod.org, Philadelphian Perseverance. So how can we practice faithfulness? By committing ourselves to endure to the end. And also by having our heart in God's work. He says here in verse 8 of Philadelphia 3, Philadelphia 3, <laughs> Revelation 3, I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. No, we persevere in doing God's work. That's how we can be faithful every day. That's how we can practice faithfulness and having our heart in God's work. And, of course, by fulfilling the sevenfold commission of the church. And how many of you have a copy of this poster, the sevenfold commission of the living church of God? Let me see your hands. Okay. It looks like about, uh, again, 90% of you have. If uh, some of you do not have, uh, we have these available in uh, MPD, the mail processing department. Uh, just call the office. You know, if you're going to set a goal, you have to visualize that goal. Commit yourself to the goal. And have your heart in God's work. Also, let's turn to Second Peter. Oh, let's see. Well, Second Corinthians three. Now we've got a choice of several scriptures here, but time is moving along. Second Corinthians, the third chapter. How else do we practice? Faithfulness, we practice it by radiating God's Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, Dr. Douglas Winnale gave the sermon last week on the importance of holiness. Of course, he quoted from Leviticus 19, verse 2, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
and also read from 1 Peter 1, verse 16, which again is an emphasis for us New Testament Christians. Be holy, for I am holy. And that means in every aspect of our lives, when you're playing basketball, when you're playing, uh, what is it, some of you are playing ultimate frisbee, uh, you still can be holy in your business, in your studies, in your entertainment, in your recreation, in your work with uh, carnal employees in uh, Charlotte or in the surrounding area. You are holy because you're radiating the fruits of God's Holy Spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And people see a difference in you because you're a giving, serving, faithful per- person. Second Corinthians, the third chapter, uh, verse 18. The context here is that Moses came down from the uh, top of the mountain with a veil over his face because his face was brilliant. But, and then symbolically, saying the veil is taken away from those who read the Scriptures. When Christ enters the formula, they can start, the Jews can start to understand spiritual truth in a way they never did before. Verse 18, 2 Corinthians 3, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when we radiate God's Spirit, that is, and the fruits of the Spirit, people can see Jesus Christ in us. And we are growing in that glory, the glory of Christian character, godly character. The NIV uh, says it this way, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. It's so encouraging to realize that God is helping us to continue to grow, even as we endure day by day, as we live each day by faith, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Dr. Meredith wrote in his co-worker letter, September 11, 2012, Dear brethren and co-workers, are you personally truly studying your Bible each day in order to fully understand and to obey the eternal God's instruction as how you should live? Are you meditating on that as you carefully think through how you may more fully reflect Jesus Christ in your life? Are you fervently praying and increasingly crying out to God to help you more deeply understand His Word, His will, and to perform perform it all, perform it in all of your life? So, are we reflecting Jesus Christ in our life? Are we radiating the fruits of God's Holy Spirit? How can we practice faithfulness? We live each day by faith. We fast regularly. We persevere. We have committed ourselves to endure to the end. We focus on the mission that Christ has given us. And we more fully reflect Christ in our lives. And we radiate in our life daily the fruits of the Holy Spirit. How confident are you that you will be in God's kingdom? Maybe you'd have just a little confidence. How can we have more faith and confidence? We 
can claim God's promise. And you know Second Peter 1 and verse 4 that He has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. Not just promises. In Second Peter 1 verse 4, but exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Philippians 1, verse 3, many of you know the promise that I'm turning to here in terms of confidence of your salvation. Philippians 1, starting with verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident. How confident are you? God gives you the confidence. Oh, was it uh, Proverbs uh, 14:26? And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and His children will have a place of refuge. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So brethren, you can have more of that confidence that God is not going to give up on you. You can trust God to bring you into his kingdom. He's given you exceeding great and precious promises. I probably... Turn to the Scripture almost every sermon, but First Peter 4, verse 19, which again gives us that assurance that God knows what He's doing. First Peter 1 Peter 4, verse 19, you know, the context of the sufferings and the strange things that happen, the fiery trials, verse 12, and Verse 13, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. 1 Peter 4, verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. God knows what He's doing and how He's working in your life personally. And, of course, it depends on your cooperation with God, your seeking God with your whole heart every day. But we have that wonderful promise that we can trust God to bring you into the kingdom. Remember God's great and guaranteed promises to you. Remember that God is the faithful Creator. He is the faithful God. And the one who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We still need to pray, as David did in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right or a steadfast spirit within me. Turn to Lamentations, uh, the third chapter. Lamentations. What we've seen in the world and the chaos that's going on now and is in our church bulletin and in the world ahead, we have the comments from the CAD director, sobering signs of the times. 
We realize there's chaos going on but and turbulence, but little compared to what will be turmoil in the Great Tribulation. We all experience trials and sometimes severe trials. And the prophet Jeremiah witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. He grieved over the pain, the death, the suffering, the disease around him. The chapter heading here to uh, chapter 2 in Lamentations is the prophet's anguish and hope. Lamentations 3, verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Actually, we have a hymn by that title, Great is Your Faithfulness. Could you imagine what Jeremiah was experiencing? It was like a great tribulation when the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And he witnessed cannibalism. He witnessed death and pestilence all around him and famine. And yet he still maintained a positive attitude. He was in anguish. It's called lamentations, meaning he lamented. We can lament in sorrow, but he still had that hope. He was going to remain faithful to the end because he remembered God is faithful. Great is your faithfulness. Verse 24, The eternal is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. Verse 25, The eternal is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the eternal. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. It's a beautiful scripture, and I hope all of you have that, that marked in your, your Bible. Well, God has called us to be a part of his royal family as kings and priests, as we learn each year at the Feast of Tabernacles. So make sure that we're striving to fulfill the mission Christ has given us to renew our faith, live by faith every day of the year, to fast regularly, to humble ourselves regularly, to trust in God's faithfulness because God is the faithful God, as it said back in Deuteronomy. And God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able. He also expects the faithful church to keep his command to persevere. So we need to doubly commit ourselves to bear the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, but particularly faithfulness. So may we go forward in fulfilling the Great Commission. We know that our our Savior is loyal to us. Those promises, I claim those promises every once in a while. When Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Hebrews 13.5 And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 20. So brethren, let's all of us remain faithful unto the end. To the end of this age, the end of our lives, and the beginning of a new glorious age when we'll join our faithful brethren who are sleeping in Jesus 
and meet them in the resurrection. Men and women from all ages, all the way back to Noah and Abel, Enoch. And we will come with Christ and the glorified saints because it tells tells us in Revelation 17.14 that those who are with Him when He comes are called chosen and faithful. Oh, brethren, let's be faithful and look forward to Jesus saying as He did in Matthew 25 and verse 21 and 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's look forward to that day.